the scripture today, then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought in. So they brought those men before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods, and you do not worship the golden statue that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trident, harp, drum, and entire musical ensemble to fall down and worship the statue that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. And who is the God that will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to present a defense to you in this matter. If our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire and out of your hand, O king, let him deliver us. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods and we will not worship the golden statue that you have set up. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Uh, today's story is a, a small piece of a broader story. So we got to pull back the lens a little bit and look at this, this, this broader story about God's faithfulness. Uh, we're in a sermon series called Portraits of Faith, and it's these three young men present uh, uh, an account of faith and of God's faithfulness an account of faith and God's faithfulness. Now, we pick up in the middle of a story about three young men who are identified as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Um, the story, if we turn back pages to Daniel chapter 1, we find that three, these three young men arrived in the land of Babylon as exiles from the nation of Judah. Babylon sacked Judah, and, and, and when Babylon sacked Judah, um, these young men, were, along with Daniel, were brought in because in Judah, they served in the king's court. They were being trained to be advisors to the king, and it was a custom in that time that you might bring those folks into your own court to make your court all the more wiser and more powerful. And so the king, Nebuchadnezzar, has brought them into his court, and invited them to be in service to him. In Daniel chapter 1, we are told that as they come into the court and they get into the service of the king, that one of the first things that happens is they receive a new name. So the first thing of note is that the, the names listed here are not their actual names. Their actual names are uh, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. All of those names have to do with Yahweh and Yahweh's faithfulness. Uh, but upon coming to the land of Babylon, they are taken into the palace and given new names, names that have to do with the Babylonian gods and Babylonian worship and not with the worship of the God of Yahweh. And so in every way, they have been, there's been an attempt to strip them of their culture, to strip them of their faith, and to give them new identity in the land of Babylon. But we are told that these four young men, these three guys who were being tossed into the furnace, and Daniel held on to their faith. They held on to their beliefs and their customs and their cultures, even when it was, being, it was trying to be pressed out of them. 
Um, the first test of this, though, comes in this story. This is the, the first true test. They, they put Babylon to the test in, in chapter 1 and chapter 2. Um, Daniel gets this new position of power and authority because he reads King Nebuchadnezzar's dream. He's able to identify the dream and what it means, and he gets a new position in the temple court, in the palace courts. And so we get to this story, and we're told that as a result of all of that, Nebuchadnezzar um, begins to have uh, some confidence in the God of Israel. And then as soon as we get to chapter 3, we're told that he, he decides to build a giant statue. And then whenever the music sounds, everybody is supposed to fall down to worship the statue. I want us to think about how difficult it would have been to stand up to this because this is what was normal. This is the custom of the culture that they live in. Can you imagine that all of your neighbors fall down together and you remain standing and how awkward that would be? How difficult it would be to remain standing when everyone else around you is doing one Thing. And going in one direction, we are told that these young men remain faithful. So I have uh, two words of encouragement and some words of challenge in this text. Because what happens in this text is uh, miraculous, but it also points to some realities that we have to hold on to in the midst of our own lives and journey. They end up being thrown into the furnace, the fiery furnace. Um, but, but here's a, the amazing thing. First, even when others misidentify you, God is faithful to see you. I want to say that again. Even when other people misidentify you, when the church gets it wrong and they don't see who you are, when, when, when um, the culture gets it wrong and they call you other names, God does not forget your identity. Remember I told you that they were given other names. This is typical of any culture that wants to oppress another group of people. When they want to forget about the humanity of another group of people, they change their names. We do this today, right? It might not be Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The, the, their original names, Azariah, means helped by Yahweh. It means helped by God. Mishael means, who is like my God? And Hananiah meant, meant um, God, the, uh, the grace or mercy of God. Can you imagine walking around with names like that and being confident of who you are and every single day you are being called now Shadrach instead of Hananiah. You're being called Mish uh, Meshach, which means um, uh, to, to worship Baal or to, to worship the, the local God of that space. Every day you're being called out of your name. But the thing is that God doesn't forget them even though they've been misidentified by their culture. I was thinking about this text in, context, in the context of our own culture because we do this today. We don't call them Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but maybe we say criminal or immigrant or all of these other names that don't seem bad on the surface, but we can use them so often that we forget the humanity behind those names. Um, during, during COVID, I remember hearing a story about a prison in New York who um, 
had, the heater had gone out. You know, winters in New York are cold. And, and they were leaving these, these uh, criminals, these prisoners, these convicts, in, 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 in these uh, cold cells without providing any adequate way of, of, of keeping them warm. And they were not really caring about, seemingly not caring about trying to alter the situation. As they began to bundle up together, COVID became very rapid and, and, and rampant and people were dying. And, and I remember hearing the story and how when we call people names like convent and, and felon and all of these names, we can sometimes forget human. We can sometimes forget brother, son, daughter. We can sometimes forget child of God, creation of the most high. It's easy for names to be used and misidentify us. And, and, and we, even when we forget our own identity, Yahweh never forgets who we are. The second thing that's really powerful in this text is God is faithful to be present. I want, I, I, I want us to notice that what, what is said and what happens in the story, what happens in the story is that they are thrown into the furnace, fire, fiery furnace. We're told that Nebuchadnezzar is so mad that they won't listen to him. He's so angry that they won't bow down. It's a small thing. You, don't have, you can keep worshiping Yahweh, but just when the music plays, just bow down then. You can keep having your little rituals and things, but when the music plays, all you have to do is bow down. It's respect. And he gets so mad that he turns the furnace up. And what they say is not that God will definitely deliver me from this. It's not that, that, that God will make sure that we, I experience no pain. What they say is that even if we are not delivered, even no matter what happens, God is going to be with us. We are going to be faithful to Yahweh. Yahweh is faithful to us. And as they are thrown into the furnace, what happens is that a fourth person shows up in their presence. Yahweh arrives in their midst. And I think it's interesting that Yahweh doesn't show up, the angel of the Lord doesn't come and, and uh, take them away from the pain. He doesn't, Yahweh doesn't show up and deliver them before they're thrown into the furnace. Yahweh doesn't even pull them out of the furnace. Nebuchadnezzar turns the furnace off when he realizes that they're not being burnt. What happens is that Yahweh shows up in the midst of their pain. One of the things that the text is telling us is that no matter what we go through, no matter what struggles we, we face, no matter what happens to us in life, Yahweh is always present with us in the midst of our struggle. That God is always with us is important. It's a, it's a powerful message because it means that I can face anything. We know if you've been around longer than five years, you know, more than five years old, you know that there, there is no guarantee that the hardships of life will not face, you will not face hardships in this life. You know that, that, that at some point you will mourn, at some point you will suffer. There will be days when you cry and weeks when you are frustrated. We know this. And what the text tells us is that in the midst of all of that frustration, in those times when we weep, God is with us, weeping with us. God enters our broken places. The text is supposed to match 
um, a famous, uh, uh, another scripture from Isaiah, which would have been written uh, some, a few years before this uh, passage would have taken place. Isaiah 43, it says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burnt. The flames will not set you ablaze because I am with you. The passage is, is metaphor. It's saying that nothing in life can overcome you because I am with you always. I, I was thinking about the importance of this because presence matters so much. When I when I was uh, when when my my daughters were being born, my oldest daughter, it was a scary time. My wife was on bed rest, and I remember sitting in the hospital room after a surgery, and my wife sitting next to my wife, and a friend of mine showing up in the hospital and sitting with me. Presence matters. It matters when someone shows up in your broken places. Not that they have to fix everything, but just having somebody with you allows you to keep going in the storm. So in the text, we're reminded that God is present with us whenever we struggle, that God is always with us. That, that Matthew chapter 28, we preached from a, a, a few weeks ago, and Jesus says, Behold and remember, I am with you even to the end of the age. There is not a tear that you will shed in your life that God is not present for. God is with you even when Others let you down. Even when others let you down. I, I, I have to turn to this because even though there's these powerful images in the text of God's faithfulness, God is faithfully present to us and God is faithful to see us, even in the midst of that, I have some troubles with the text. I have to nitpick the text a little bit because I'm mad at my friend Daniel who is supposed to be with them. If you go back and look at Daniel chapter 1, there were four young men who arrived in Babylon. Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael arrived together in Babylon. And, and when the other people were, were beginning to be accustomed to those cultures, it was Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael who remained faithful to Yahweh who were together. And it was supposed to be those four men together thrown into the the fiery furnace. So where is Daniel in the story? Where is Daniel in the story? I, I think that the text presents us with some challenges. I think one of the challenges is the question of where we are in the story. How we read the Bible matters. You see, I, I wonder where Daniel was because in, in Daniel chapter 2, at the very end, we're told that because of Daniel's uh, interpretation of King Nebuchadnezzar's dream, he got to go and be in the palace. He got to, to have this high position and become sort of like a, a one of uh, Nebuchadnezzar's chief lieutenants. In, this, in the story, if we go back and read at the beginning of Daniel chapter 3, we're told that everybody, all of the palace officials were there. The prefects, the council, the judges, which means that Daniel must have been in the room when they are being thrown into the furnace and nowhere does Daniel write that I stood up and said something. So I have to question Daniel, where are you in the midst of the story? 
And as I was thinking about that, I was thinking about how we read the Bible. I think sometimes when we read the Bible, I think most of the time when we read the Bible, we read the Bible like I read all of my comic books when I was a kid. When I read my Superman comic book, I pretended to be Superman. I imagined myself flying either as Superman or right next to Superman. I imagined when the Justice League went to fight that I would be on the side of the Justice League. When we read the Bible, we often read ourselves into the story of the hero. But one of the things that the Bible does is challenges us to read ourselves into other characters in the text and to ask ourselves, when do we act, like, not like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, not like Azariah, Mishael, and, and uh, Hananiah, when do we act like these prefects and counselors who just put our head down and do our job even though we see oppression happening around us. How we read the Bible matters, I think. I was reminded of it um, because there was a book that I read um, some years ago called Jim and Casper Goes to Church. Uh, Jim was a pastor, Casper was an atheist, not Casper Friendly Ghost, just a name. But Casper is an atheist and these two guys decide to, um, Jim is, they, get, they become friends, um, through some uh, connected relationships and, and they start talking about faith and Jim decides to try something out and they begin to go to churches around the country together. They go to, to mega churches and to small country churches. They go to uh, churches with wealthy people and poor people. They go to all of these churches and, and one of the problems that Casper the atheist has in the story is that he go, they go to this church on the south side of Chicago, this little poor church, and, and they're preaching this text about, about God's deliverance, about how God is faithful to be with you, sort of like I was preaching earlier, and all of these, these kind of poor people, immigrant workers and whatnot, they're, they're talking and they're praising God together, and they're saying, and the pastor's saying that even in the midst of your struggle, even on your hard days, God is with you, that God is here to rescue you, and he's like, I can understand how these poor people, how that would be helpful, helpful for them. A few weeks later, they go to one of the wealthiest countries in the, uh, churches in the world, in the country. One of the wealthiest churches in the country. They, they park outside, there's Benzes and, and, and Lexuses and Maseratis and all kinds of cars, and they go into the church service, and it so happens that the pastor at that service is preaching from the same text. And he preaches almost the same message. God is, God is faithful. God is there for you in your struggles and your hardships. God is there. He's trying to rescue you. The world is a broken place. And the problem with that is, it's not that wealth gets rid of all your problems, but the problem, the challenge I think that Casper had, he said, why won't they see themselves as other characters in the text? Because at this church, quite literally, there are judges there are counselors, there are people who are connected to the positions of power in this community. Why can't they see themselves and realize that they have actual power to help these other Christians in need? How we read the Bible matters because there's a challenge in this text, I think, to not only see that God will show up in our broken places, but also to see that God challenges us to stand in the broken and the hard places with others. 
God offers us a fearful, amazing opportunity to stand in the furnace with other people. There are people in this world right now who feel like the church has abandoned them uh, because they are in the furnace of of oppression. Um, They're in the furnace of addiction. They're in the furnace of of poverty. They're in the furnace of hard times. And we are called not to say necessarily that we can fix all of those problems, but we are invited to stand in it with them. The question is, where do we stand? I was thinking about this challenge because it reminded me of a, a commentary on the Beatitudes. Um, you remember the Beatitudes in, in Luke and Matthew where, where Jesus stands up and he says, blessed are the poor and blessed are the weak and blessed are those who hunger and thirst. And the commentary says that the, the translation of that, the reason we, we use the word blessed comes from a, the Latin translate, the Latin Vulgate. But the original Greek, a better understanding of the original Greek is that that it's right to stand with, that you're in the right place when you stand with the poor. That the poor stand in the right place, that the the weak are standing in the right place. And and what the commentary says is, so so he says, it's not so much articulation of theology as it is geography. That in the text, Jesus asked us, where are we going to stand? And I thought about my own life, my own self, and where I imagine standing. And the truth is, I don't want to stand with the poor and the weak and the hungry and the thirsty. I I was thinking about, um, anybody remember the the TV show Lifestyle of the Rich and Famous with Robin Leach? How many of y'all remember that show? And if you were like me, when I was a kid, I grew up watching that show, imagining standing and sitting with the wealthy. What if I made a lot of money and I could be on the yacht with that billionaire? Or what if I could be in the, the, the big house, three-story house with those millionaires? What if, I always imagined myself standing with the wealthy. I imagine, what if I could be courtside with the Lakers and the Rockets? What, what if I always imagined myself standing with wealth and power. And Jesus, in the story, God invites us to imagine ourselves standing with those in need. I was thinking about this. Well, you might say, well, David, that's all well and good, but what is the purpose of standing with the well with, with those in need? Is it so that we can say that we're good people and we're good Samaritans? And I don't think that's the best part of it. I think the, the amazing thing is that if God, who is faithful to be with the, with the people in the broken places, if God always shows up there, when I stand with them, I end up standing right next to God. How many people have ever done mission work and you felt like you experienced God when you were doing that work? I will tell the truth. I have have been invited to sit courtside at the Rockets game and I felt a lot of things, but I didn't feel Yahweh there. I didn't feel any kind of special connection, but I have been in Kenya 
in a village on in a, the poor part of a poor village in Kenya. And in that village, in that little church, I have felt closer to God than most of the times in my life. What I'm saying is that God is always next to those in need. And when I align myself with them, I align myself with God, with God's heart, with God's passion, with the things that God cries for. I want to be in line with those things. And I think the text challenges us to line ourselves, to stand ourselves, to get our geography right. I would rather stand in the gates, in the courts of God, in the presence of Yahweh than anywhere else. Where will you stand? Um, I, I think there's an invitation for us today. There's hope in the text because we remember that there is nothing that we can go through where Yahweh will not be. Where, where the God of Isaac and Jacob and Abraham, where, where Jesus himself will not be in our midst. We remind ourselves that, that Jesus experienced the same kinds of frustrations and heartache, that God and Jesus experienced the loss of friends and the, the, the feeling of betrayal, that, he, that God can actually sympathize and empathize with us. But God doesn't just leave it in empathy, but God remains faithful to be present with us. And so the question of faith becomes a question of where will we stand? Not just to be heroes, but will we stand in the gap, in those broken places? I believe that as we do, we will experience God in new and profound ways for years to come. I'm almost finished with my sermon. After, as we go from the sermon, we will be invited to the communion table and we will take in the elements. And every time you do this, we remember that it was on the first night that Jesus took the bread and he said, every time you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And we take in the body and the blood and we pray, Lord, let us be the body of the world, uh, the body of Christ, broken for the world. Let us be like you. I think this text is a reminder that every time we say that, let it be a real prayer. Not that we would just say words with our lips, but that we would, with our whole heart and being, say the communion liturgy and mean every bit of it. And believe the communion liturgy when it says that in the communion, what the church has always believed is that God shows up in a unique and special way whenever we take communion together as a community. That God shows up in a powerful way and we get to experience his presence. So as you take the cup, the bread, and you drink the cup, that you remember that God is with you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Merciful God, we thank you for your love for us and the power of, of your community and your commitment for us. And so we pray, Lord God, that we would stay and stand in the places you called us. In Jesus' name, amen.